Um, I'm sorry, there's nothing on screen this week, partly because I ran out of time, but mostly because it confuses me. Um, in, in one of those orders. Um, the psalm we're doing today is Psalm 53, so if you'd like to turn to that in your Bible. Um, I'll give you a moment to catch up. Um, it's a psalm written by David, who was a king of Israel. And I've lost... Ah, here we go. Um, David wrote the psalm we did last week, which was Psalm 51. He was probably one of the greatest kings of Israel, but his uh, beginnings were quite humble. He was a farmer, shepherd. Um, he then, when he was quite young, got a job working as a musician for the king of Israel. Um, and soon moved up to be commander of his army, uh, which is quite an odd job change. Um, but then was so successful doing that that um, Saul, the king, became jealous of him, and David had to run for his life, and spent much of his life then on the run, fearing for his life. Um, he eventually returned to Jerusalem and was crowned king, and acted well, bringing peace to the land, but then, as we learned last week, he fell into sin. Um, and this led to him again later on in his life having to run uh, from his own son, Absalom, before finally being restored to his kingship and his kingdom. So he le led quite an interesting life. Quite, He was sort of up and down all the time through it. Um, but through this he wrote a lot of psalms showing how he uh, relates to God. And so we're going to look at one of those today. So if you all look at Psalm 53, um, we're going to read Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man. See if there are any who understand who seek after God, they all turn aside together. They have become corrupt, and there is none who do good, none, not even one. Have they no knowledge who are all evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat up bread, and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great terror, for the generation of the right, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame for plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation would come to Zion, out of Zion, when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. Um, okay, now let's turn to Psalm 53. It says, To the choir master, according to Mahalaleth, a mascot of David, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if any understand or seek after God. They have all fallen away and together have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up for people as they eat up bread and do not call on God. There they are in great terror, where there is no terror, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Over that salvation would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. 
I think what we had to ask when we see that um, David has plagiarized himself is why do we have this in the Bible twice? Is it just such a good psalm that unlike 23, we're going to listen to it twice? Um, Or is there a difference? Well, there are some differences. You'll notice Psalm 53 is thankfully shorter. Um, And um, there are some differences like... um, verse 5, where you'll notice um, there's change from God scatters their bones and there's going to be this great battle and God's going to do it, whereas in 35 it talks more about how uh, God's righteous people are going to conquer. Um, What is likely is that Psalm 14 was written first and Psalm 53 is an adaptation of that uh, for a specific event, probably a victory or battle Israel ra- won. Um, another place, but this doesn't really help us with placing the sun because actually I read about 10 commentaries and none of them could say when in David's life this battle or event might have happened. Um, and so I was struggling to work out how to apply this, not knowing where it comes. So um, another way to see how this fits into a Bible story is to look at the context. Uh, it may interest you to know that the book of Psalms is not like, say, a modern hymn book, which is generally alphabetical. Um, the book of Star- Psalms has themes running through it. Uh, so as we look at Psalm 14, we see that it's in a section of uh, Psalms from 11 to 18, which David wrote while running from Saul. And the themes running through this, uh, defend me, God, because I'm righteous. I've done what you say, and this evil man is attacking me. Um, And he says, uh, protect the poor and protect the righteous against the evil ones. But context of Psalm 53 is rather different. If we look at the two Psalms we just had, if you remember last week we did Psalm 51, and David says, I am the evil one in Psalm 51, basically, and repents of his sin towards God. Psalm 52 is about the evil of another man. So the context is different, but um, Psalm 14 is about how David, God's righteous one, is being oppressed. Psalm 53 is about how God's, you'll notice the word righteous is not used in Psalm 53 uh, for God's people. So David is God's saying, I am oppressed. He's not saying, I'm righteous. He's saying, um, it's God's people who are being oppressed. Um, Okay, so let's look at the psalm, verse 1. Uh, how, how do we count the evil we see in the world? Is it uh, religion that causes wars? Is it selfishness or race or nature that causes us to do evil? Uh, do we sin because we're tempted into it or because we were brought up wrong or because life is hard? Um, what does Psalm 53 have to say about this? Uh, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
and they're corrupt and their ways are vile. Uh, there's none who does good. So it's not, it's not circumstance that causes us to sin. It's a disbelief in God and it's a distance from God. Is this just disbelief as in atheism? Um, well, no, because the nations around would not have been atheists. They, were, they all had their own gods. And this psalm is not just about the other nations. It's about Israel as well. It's about people who believe in the right God. So when it says they say there is no God, it's not, it's not that they're saying there is no God. It's to do with how they view him. Um, a helpful way to see this is Romans 1 uh, and 21 to 25 which is where um, Paul explains the plight of mankind. He says, For although people knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity and the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served cre created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. The Bible tells the story of mankind that uh, it started by knowing God and enjoying his company. Uh, we see this in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. But by Genesis they've sinned and chose to be God themselves by making the rules and breaking God's rule um, it's not that they don't believe in God it's that they have rejected him uh, but as Paul says because of this they have become fools exchanging this glory for things made to look like what they see around them and this explains why the world is full of what the Bible calls fools who can't see God, though he is clearly there, because they've become blind to him, because they're so obsessed with the replacements that they have made, uh, which are in their own sinful image. They don't want to see God, because if they admit he is there, then they have to change how they live. Uh, this also explains what is wrong with human religion and philosophy because it starts from the wrong place. Uh, it starts from the idea that man has the ability to find out what is truth. Whereas the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God and he can't see a God because he chooses not to. And he needs God to open his eyes to see him. Uh, this is what John says at the start of his gospel and to paraphrase uh, he says, God made the world and gave life and light to it. But the world was dark with sin. So God came to the world from the Father, Jesus came, uh, to shine the light of God into the world. He lived in the world as God, but the world didn't recognize him. But some did. It was those who were born of God, made alive to see by God. No one has ever seen God, but God has made himself known. It's not that we can find God, but that he comes and he opens our eyes to see him. 
So this means if you're looking at in it Christianity and you want to know more, the Bible actually says it's a useless search. If you're trying to do it in your own strength to work out is God real by your own strength, you're not going to find it. The Bible says you have to ask and you have to receive from God. But Jesus also says, ask and it will be given. He promises that if you seek him, you will find him. But the fool is not just for non-Christians. And the fool is not just those looking in. Uh, So sorry if you're here thinking you're being picked on. Uh, No, the fool that the psalm is talking about is everyone. Uh, If you look at verse 3, it says, um, God looks down from heaven. Oh, that's verse 2. They have all fallen away. Together have become corrupt. There is not one who does good, not even one. So David says everyone has fallen away and everyone's in sin. Um, And as we look back at the history of church, you see things like the church going to war against uh, other nations and um, doing dreadful things, oppressing people and acting in just an ungodly way. And you had to ask would they do that if they really believed in God? Um, I think it's one of the things generally leveled at Christians. If we say you're a Christian, they'll say, what about the church? What about the dreadful things done in the name of God? Well, actually, this says if you were living with the right view of God, you would not do those things. But sin comes when we turn from God. I think we do have to be careful and always watch out for this but we don't uh, take God out of church it would be so easy to come on a Sunday and get halfway through the meeting before you actually think about God because you're so busy with everything else he is the centre of what it means to be a Christian Um, and as we see in history if that is lost it just becomes dead religion without him and it's about the power of God, the power that is able to change us for life. Uh, church isn't just a club or a social group to help us get through the trials of life. Uh, we're here because uh, God's spirit moves among the church and gives power to those to go out for evangelism and uh, strength in life. But then there's also a danger as Christians that we come to church and we do the church thing and we get all worked up on a Sunday. (laughs) But then we live our life as if God wasn't there. Uh, We have a great Sunday and then live through the week hardly praying, hardly reading the Bible, hardly thinking about God. But if God is true and if we believe in God, then he's true 100% of the time. The Christian walk is one of union with God and it's about enjoying God and it's about wanting to spend time with God. As we drift from God, this psalm teaches us we'll drift into sin, we'll stop desiring God and we'll start desiring things we shouldn't desire. On the flip side of that, if you are battling with sin, it's not that you don't battle that hard enough, it's that you don't fight to love God and enjoy Jesus. Jesus says... 
I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never hunger. So if you find yourself desiring other things other than Jesus, it's because you've not fixed your eyes on him. If there's not a moment of any day or um, any time that would not be better if we lived it in communion with God, God wants us to have uh, a relationship with him. It's what we are made for. He has good plans for you. So now let's look down at verse 2 and 3. Um, it says, God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Everyone has turned away and together have all become corrupt. Whereas no one good, not even one. Uh, this is an echo of Je- Genesis 6 verse 5, uh, which is the story of Noah when it says God looked down and saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and for every intention of his thoughts uh, and his heart was only evil all of the time. God is not aware of, not, not unaware of the sin of the world and we should see from the echo of uh, the story of Noah that he's going to act on this He's going to come and he's going to judge. He bides his time. He's not going to rush into it as we see in verse 4. It says, um, Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat up bread, and do not call upon God. Uh, God has seen all this and he doesn't act straight away. He lets lets these people continue to attack his people. And um, as we go through verse 4, we see that um, the world is against us as the church. Um, And it's against the church because, as Jesus said, no servant is above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Uh, So as for people of God, life is going to be hard. The original context of this psalm was one of war, that people were so against God's uh, chosen nation that they'd gone to war against it. Um, and as we look through church history, we see it starts with Jesus who dies on a cross. Uh, and then Stephen is stoned and James beheaded right at the start of the book of Acts. So church history has been filled with people who are against it. It's not you they hate but it's God they hate Mm. and because you're united with God they hate you because they see him through you but we see that God cares because he's not a God who doesn't see in verse 2 and 3 we've seen that God sees all things Uh, he looks down from heaven to see if there's anyone who does good he sees everyone and he sees all their deeds um and he feels the pain of his people and wants to come and help. Uh, he longs for the time when he'll rush from heaven and bring justice to his certain church. So why does he delay? Well, if we get to verse 5, we'll see what the justice coming is. Uh, there they are in great... Uh, there they are overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God has scattered the bones of those who attack you and put them to shame 
the gods despised them. We need to see what God will do. He will vindicate his children. He says, you'll put them to shame, for God will come. Uh, this is quite a sober passage then, uh, because this psalm is saying, come Lord and crush the bones of the wicked, crush those who oppress us. Um, I guess what we had to ask is, is this what we should say? Should we see people sin against us and think, oh, send, them, send them to hell, God, come and... Uh, that's, that's not it at all. We should take no delight in the death of the wicked, God says. Um, there are some... There are some Christians who would, well, uh, would take that line and would uh, say we should enjoy this. But God does not enjoy punishing uh, the sins of anyone. It's, um, it's his justice that calls for it. And And this verse 5, we won't understand until we read uh, on and see verse 6, which is, Oh, that salvation would come for Israel out of Zion, when God restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. God is coming, and this is to do two things. It's to bring justice to the earth, to punish sin, but it's also to bring salvation uh, And we see this, uh, we see this first in Jesus, that he came and he did uh, what God should do. He judged and um, he says in Mark 10, eight, uh, 18, no one is good but God alone. But actually, he said, this was not why I came this time. I didn't come to judge. I came, Mark 10, 45, to give my life as a ransom for many, for the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. So, uh, as we suffer at the hands of those who are against us, as we cry out for salvation from God, we should actually be crying out for their salvation too because it's what Jesus wants, uh, wants for them. Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. And what we see here is that this verse 5 uh, has already, in a sense, come true. If you turn, uh, well, I'll read it. Uh, John 18 um, is about when Jesus, uh, Judas came to betray Jesus. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers, offic officials and the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were all carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth replied, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing with them. 
Jesus said, when Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. They fell to the ground and drew back from Jesus in dread because they saw at that moment who he was. Because the words, I am, were God's special name for himself. I am who, he a- who I am is how God introduces himself to the people. And at that moment, Jesus reveals his power and his glory to them, saying, I am God, I am the one who has this power to judge. And they can't touch him because they are filled with dread. They came not expecting a fight. They came with a whole detachment of soldiers to arrest one man. And they see that that man is God. And they're in fear. But it doesn't go the way you would then expect it to. Because rather than crushing them, as the psalm says, God would, they live. In fact, uh, Jesus speaks again and gives them the strength to come bind him and carry him away. And they spit on him and beat him and nail him to the cross. And so it's Jesus who ends up being crushed by God. And the Bible says he did this um, uh, for the sins of his people. For no one is righteous, not even one. So his people had to be bought. And he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Because he's under God's wrath for their sins. And why did he do this? He did it to bring salvation to his people. Um, for he was crucified on a mountain outside Jerusalem, which is Zion. Uh, and so God crushes Jesus at Zion, where salvation is meant to come from. Um, And so out of there flows uh, forgiveness. And Jesus says to the thief dying next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, Now, the quick thinking among you may have noticed we're not in paradise yet. So the salvation that (laughs) Jesus has brought is not instant. It's bought at the cross, but it's not complete yet. So we're still waiting uh, for verse 6 to come about. We're still asking over oh, salvation for Israel will come out of Zion and God restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. He has bought for himself a people at the cross, but he says that um, we are being saved. Uh, it's a process started and we know it will be finished when Jesus comes again but we have something to look forward to that Jesus is going to come and vindicate his people and show us to be right um, but this also gives us good good news because the message of the gospel so far from this psalm has been along the lines of if you don't believe in God you're a fool and uh, God is angry with you but the message of the cross is that there is salvation that's free for the world. It comes through Jesus. So I think uh, this psalm should drive us to evangelism. It should make us see a real view of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Um, It should help us see the danger that those around us are in 
because if, if you're not God's people, then God is against you. And he says that his salvation that is coming for his people will also be the judgment of the world. So we should go out and we should be wanting to tell people about what God has done for us. I think that's about all I've got. <laughs> I didn't realise that the, 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 the crucial words to him that he gave me that, that one was.